uh, I read an article, uh, um, uh, an essay, in one of the major media outlets this week, uh, written by a guy who uh, had, uh, in the course of his life, uh, walked away from the church. Uh, typical story. And, uh, and he was talking about how uh, Christmas still drew him back. And he recited some statistics to say that uh, a large number of folks who have walked away from the church uh, can't keep away uh, when it comes to Christmas time. Uh, that there is a yearning, that there is a resonance, uh, that they can't escape. Uh, if you're in that situation uh, tonight, uh, Adam has already warmly welcomed you, and I, I want to ask you to consider uh, sticking around. Uh, I want to ask you to consider coming back next week and maybe the week after. Uh, particularly the world in which we're living and the insanity that is descending upon us, particularly as we enter an election season, uh, we need something better, uh, something deeper, something more profound than business as usual. I read a couple of books this year uh, written by atheists uh, decrying some of the effects of the sexual revolution, some of the effects of critical theory, and at the end of almost every chapter, uh, my thought was that was well said, uh, it would have been easier simply to have read the Bible. Uh, there are answers in the scripture uh, about the nature of humanity, about what we're all about, about who we are, and about who God is. John Calvin was famous for saying you can't really know God until you know yourself, uh, but you can't really know yourself until you know God. And uh, so with that in mind, the invitation is there. Uh, it'll be my prayer as we move forward. Now, uh, let's turn to the business at hand. Uh, in John chapter 12, uh, in conversation, uh, just after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, uh, some Greeks, and they're identified as Greeks, approach uh, the apostles and they say, uh, sir, we wish to see Jesus. And that's what I'm hoping that we can do tonight. In a world that is reeling, uh, in a world that is on the cusp of war, you know, uh, I don't know how catastrophic or how widespread the war will be, but there are wars already uh, taking place. And this year could be the year when a third world war starts. Could also be the year when a big revival sweeps the world. I've heard reliable accounts of churches being planted and revivals exploding in China, in Iran, and in India. Who knows what will happen? Uh, but in all of that, it's good to pose the question, we would like to see Jesus. Uh, so, I'm grateful that we can recenter uh, on Jesus. Uh, I'm going to address one small section of a verse in 1 John chapter 3. If you've got Bibles, you can take a look there. Uh, <clears throat> 1 John is a notoriously hard book to read, I think. Um, the language is just not our language, and there's all kinds of back and forth and in and out and up and down, uh, but it can be very beneficial. Uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 1 of chapter 3 of 1 John, and I'm going to read through verse 8. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. 
Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, That's really what I want to focus on this morning. Uh, You'll notice in the passage that Jesus is described as appearing uh, in verse 5 and in verse 8, indicating his preexistence. And uh, he appeared in order to take away sins in verse 5. But the strong assertion in verse 8 is the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy uh, the works of the devil. Now, there are other places in the New Testament uh, where the purpose of Jesus' coming are described. Uh, In John 3.16, you know that verse, uh, that uh, Jesus came to provide eternal life. Uh, In Mark 10.45, Jesus himself said uh, that I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. In Luke 19, uh, Jesus is quoted saying that he came to seek and save the lost. And then in Mark 1 and in Luke 4, he also says, I came uh, to preach the good news. Uh, This assertion is a bit more stark, isn't it? Uh, It's reflective. Uh, The beloved apostle is writing almost 60 years after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. He's had a long time to think about it. We understand that he's probably in exile on the Isle of Patmos when the book of Revelation was also written. And he writes, the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So how do we understand the coming of Jesus into the world? Uh, How do we understand his departure, Uh, what Luke describes as his exodus? Uh, Well, the Bible's got a plot line. Uh, It starts at the beginning and works to the end. And uh, I would love to spend weeks and weeks on that, but I won't. Uh, But scholars and Bible teachers speak of the drama of redemption. In the beginning, God made the world perfect, uh, but one entered, and we don't know how or why. Big mystery. But one entered this perfect world and enticed the man and the woman to rebel and to disobey. Uh, That one who entered is called, in the Bible, the son of the dawn, in Isaiah 14, the God of this world, in 2 Corinthians 4, the serpent, in Genesis 3, the prince of the power of the air, in Ephesians 2, the strong men armed, in Mark 3, the King James Version names him Lucifer, uh, referring to the Latin translation of the Hebrew, uh, which means day or morning, which comes from Isaiah 1412, where the devil is called uh, the dayspring uh, or the sun of the dawn. Uh, 
the biblical story depicts him as uh, being the ruler of the world in a certain way. The world has become his kingdom in some very important ways. And you can't understand the Bible nor the coming of Jesus into the world unless you understand what is written about the devil. Now, that's kind of a stark assertion. And again, in, in, in higher academic circles, there's a little bit of an embarrassment in talking about the devil and a little bit of ignorance about it. But nonetheless, I think it's true. You can't understand the Bible. You can't understand the coming of Jesus unless you understand what is written about the devil. The curse is leveled against the serpent after the fall, after Adam and Eve transgress. And in that curse against the serpent, a promise is made. God will put enmity between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the servant, the serpent. And uh, that's understood by theologians to be the proto-euangelion, uh, the first mention of the gospel, the first promise that God is going to redeem the world. From that point, the world waits until the offspring of the woman comes to oppose the offspring of the serpent. It waits for the ruler of this world to be defeated. Romans chapter 12, there's a little bit of a movie version of this uh, where the dragon is poised to devour the offspring of the woman. Uh, so the battle sets at least one grid through which we understand the gospel, that Jesus came to wage a great fight. Didn't he say, I didn't come to bring peace, but rather a sword? Because he came to wage this war, this fight, this struggle uh, against uh, the enemy, uh, the ruler of the kingdom of the power of the air. That theme unfolds in Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, the devil's opposition occurs in two stages. Uh, the first stage is to seek to keep Jesus from going to the cross. And, uh, and then secondly, in a desperate move at the end, uh, by seeking to have him killed apart from his own will. So in the temptation, the devil offers Jesus a kingdom without a cross. Satan says, I'll give you everything that I have. I'm in charge of all of this, and I will give it all to you if you would just not go to the cross. You would just make sure that that doesn't happen. In an encounter with the Gadarene demoniac, it's very interesting. Uh, Jesus poses the question to the demoniac and says, what's your name? And the demoniac says, my name is Legion. Uh, and if you understand the word Legion, uh, it's a military term. It's the mustering of a force that condensed into this one demoniac uh, was a legion of demons that had been mustered to oppose Jesus because the battle is on. When, G when Peter repudiates Jesus' determination to get to the cross, Jesus, interestingly, calls him Satan. Do you remember that? Peter said, Lord, don't go to the cross, don't do that. A lot of other better ways to accomplish what you want to do. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, finally, at the end, and desperately, the devil enters Judas to rip out of Jesus' hands the crucifixion. Uh, but every point throughout the drama, Jesus wins. He emerges victorious. So again, back to John chapter 12, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. 
He knows he's going to the cross. This is the week before. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. When Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, he doesn't mean that his life is over. What he means is that his battle with the devil is done, that his work has been accomplished. The reason that the Son of Man appeared was to defeat, to destroy the works of the devil. Now, uh, what does John mean when he talks about the works of the devil? And how does Jesus destroy those works? What are the works of the devil, and how does Jesus destroy the works? First and foremost, the devil is a liar. In John chapter 8, Jesus is arguing with his interlocutors, and he says to them, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. And then he describes the devil. He says, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, I want to remind you what happens in John chapter 1 when John describes the coming of the Messiah in cosmic terms. The first part of that was read as our call to worship. Uh, But in verse 17 of John 1, John writes, the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus says later in John chapter 14, I am the truth. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ, and this in opposition to the fact that the devil is a liar and has been a liar from the beginning. So what are the lies? Well, the foremost lie is that God is deficient in his love and in his telling the truth. That's the foremost lie that the devil whispers into your and my minds all the time. He is relentless in this. To Eve, he says, God doesn't have your best interest at heart. He's withholding from you to protect what is his. He's lying to you. To Jesus, in a very similar temptation, he says, you're not really the son of God. If you were, you wouldn't be suffering like this. If you actually are the son of God, turn this stone into a piece of bread. The foremost lie is that God is deficient in his love and in his telling the truth. And all of the unhappiness in the world springs from our believing a version of that lie. All of the unhappiness in your life, all of the unhappiness in the world springs from our believing a version of that lie. Secondly, the devil is the accuser against your conscience. You might know that the word Satan, if I were to pronounce it in Hebrew, it would be Satan, uh, literally means accuser. We have a vision of this in in Zechariah uh, chapter 3 where the devil is accusing the high priest of having filthy garments. In Revelation 12, he is said to be accusing the saints day and night before the throne of God. It really is just another lie. God is deficient and you're contemptible. And that's a lethal mix, isn't it? To believe that God is deficient 
and that you are contemptible, well, it's a wonder you could wake up in the morning. Now, how does Jesus destroy the works of the devil? Well, first, simply in his coming. Christmas, in fact, is the repudiation of the lie of the devil. That's fundamentally what it is. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great British preacher in the 20th century, said this, his very incarnation undoes the lie of Satan. For if the incarnation tells us one thing more than anything else, it is that God is love and that God has loved us with an everlasting love. The devil says God is against you, God hates you, and he delights to keep you down. He wants to rob you of everything that is yours by right. The incarnation says no. The world, in fact, deserves nothing but condemnation, but God sends his son. The baby in the manger is the denial of the lie of Satan. If the baby could speak, he would say, I'm here because God loves you. And that's an important thing to remember from John 3.16. I had this pointed out by one of my favorite preachers. We often talk about the love of Jesus. Jesus is the lover of our souls. And we have this little suspicion in the background that the Father is maybe not quite so positively disposed towards us. But John 3.16 says that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son. It's the love of the Father. In verse 1 here, in 1 John 3, see, I think other translations say behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Not by right, but by adoption. The quality of the love of God. And then in verse 7, he says, little children, let no one deceive you. Again, the devil is relentless in his attempt to deceive you. But John says, don't be deceived. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called God's children. Secondly, Jesus in his own authority willingly if painfully lays down his life for his friends. Uh, we sing the song at Easter, hopefully other times as well, bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, for those who are in Christ by faith, their guilt and their shame is taken away, objectively and definitively, even though the devil doesn't rest and keeps accusing. I want to run with that for another hour, uh, but I won't do it. I'm just going to have to tell you the truth and count on the Holy Spirit uh, to plunge it so deeply into your heart that it takes root and begins to bear fruit. So of what benefit is it that we say we believe these things? Uh, the larger context here has to do with helping the saints battle sin. That's why John's writing. I want you to engage this battle with sin. I want you to understand the resources that you have. To believe the lies of the devil makes you a captive to sin. You can't help it. And you might be worrying to say, I'm going to make myself a better person. I'm going to shape up. I'm going to do better next year. That's why we have these crazy New Year's resolutions. 
Um, but but if the, the, the failure comes from the belief in the lies. Um, to believe the lies, the lie that God is deficient, the lie that you are contemptible, uh, is to set the stage whereby you can't break the power of the sin. And so John is writing them, wanting them to break the power of sin, and he says, believe the truth. To believe the truth, the good news of Jesus' coming, of his dying and being raised, is to be set free. Because when you pay attention to that and you look at it clearly, you see that God's ways are good. And it's a whole lot better to pursue God's good ways than it is to try to clean up your act so that you might be able to be a little bit more presentable to him. You know, our, our, the goal is not to do the right thing. The goal is to want to do the right thing. In fact, the goal is to joyfully engage in wanting to do the right thing. And you can only do that by believing what has been said, by believing the incarnation, by believing the death and resurrection of Jesus, by believing that the reason that the Son of Man appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Uh, you can come to him with a cleansed conscience. We, I don't know if you've ever sung this song here. Uh, it's a John Newton song. The old melody is hard. The new RUF melody is harder. <laughs> but we got to find a way to get this lyric into play. It says, bowed down beneath a load of sin by Satan sorely pressed. By wars within and fears without, I come to thee for rest. Be thou my shield and hiding place that sheltered by thy side. I may my fierce accuser face and tell him thou hast died. Once again, the reason that the Son of Man came, uh, appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. Let's resolve this year to know and rely upon the love of God more than we have up to this point. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, it's kind of hard to sprint through the Bible in 25 minutes. Yet Christmas needs a context. Uh, the birth of this baby needs to be seen for what it is. Uh, not something simply quaint and attractive and heartwarming, although it is that, uh, but for something monumental, uh, something historic something that alters eternity. Uh, so please, again, give us the Spirit so that these things would take root and change us for your honor, for our joy, and for the good of our neighbors. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.